0: Last time we were together, let, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26. We're getting close to the end of the book of Samuel, and the end of the book ends with the death of Saul, and, and then in Second Samuel we, we, we begin to see David's coming to his throne in Hebron, and then over all of Jerusalem, or all of Israel in Jerusalem, but last week we know that before there is the throne, oftentimes there's pain. Oftentimes there's preparation, and 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 certainly as we have been looking at the life of David, especially as he has been on the run from Saul, who, as you know, has become completely unhinged, and he is uh, completely bent on killing David. Uh, Saul, as you remember, is very jealous of David, knowing very well that David was the one, the rightful king to the throne. And if you remember, it wasn't long after Saul had began his reign that he had made one, one mistake after another, just in obedience to God. And there came a point where God said, that's enough. And, and God removed his spirit from him. The, the, the spirit of God gave Saul every opportunity and, and everything that he needed. So that there, there's no way that Saul could ever complain and say, Lord, you never did this, you never did that, to make me a good king. No, the Lord gave David, or gave Saul, everything that he needed. And then it was up to Saul to walk in that conviction, to walk in that calling that God had placed. He allowed, actually, in Saul's life. I don't know if he really called him, but he allowed him to be king, because that's what the people wanted. And in this, we see a wonderful lesson for all of us. That don't always pray you know, that you get what you want, because you might just get it. And sometimes when we get what we want, it's not God's best. We often will settle for second best, or third best, or, or somewhere down the line. But God wants the very best for you and me, and it's our, uh, up to us whether we want the best, or do we want the gleanings? Do we want the scraps, or do we want the full course meal? And that's always the, the case with the Lord and us. And it always requires obedience. It requires a love and a devotion for God. I mean, after all, is it really hard? Is it really that hard to, to worship him, you know, to love him? I think the more I uh, understand the, the, the great gulf between me and God and to think that Jesus Christ was our intermediary. He's the one who came and allowed us. It was through Christ that we are able to be reconciled to God the Father. There was no other way for us. We couldn't sacrifice enough. We couldn't be holy enough. There's nothing that we could do to earn that salvation. It was through Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, how easy is it for me then just to say, Lord, I give you my whole life. And it seems to me that as I grow in the Lord, and maybe you're experiencing the same thing with me, and I hope you are because as we grow older in Christ, as we walk with the Lord more and more, There ought to be more of a giving up of myself, giving up of my life, to surrender to whatever it is that he has, his desire for my life. And to discover God's will for your life is the greatest thing on the world, greatest thing in the world, greatest thing in heaven, is to find, to know the will of God and then to follow it and to be obedient to it. And see, God did that for David. He he gave, he gave, his heart was for David initially, but the people wanted something else. The people wanted something else. And he gave them their desire, but brought leanness to their soul, as it says in Exodus. And that's never a good thing when the Lord gives you what you want, but brings leanness to your soul. And as a nation, that's really what they experienced. They gave them the tall, dark, and handsome. That's what they wanted. They wanted some guy who fit the bill. And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is with tall people. They, you know, many leaders are tall, but some of the best leaders are short, <laughs> you know. And um, so, don't ever look on the outward appearance. Didn't uh, the Lord tell that to Samuel? He says, don't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Why are you looking at his stature? Pay no attention to that. Oh, but Lord, he's handsome. Who cares? Lord, he can speak well. Who cares? Lord, he went to school for this. Who cares? So Saul was in a lot of trouble from the very beginning. And we know that once... His obedience began to wane, and as he made his choices that would lead him down a trajectory which was not a good place, God told the prophet Samuel to tell Saul, Saul, I'm removing you, and I'm placing another man on the throne who's better than you. And that must have really stung Saul to hear those words. Someone, a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And immediately there was enmity with David. And not only was he a uh, anointed king, God had told Samuel, anoint David. Not only was the anointed king in, in the coming yet, and it would take seven to ten years before that would actually come to fruition. Not only that, but David was a, a gifted songwriter. He was a gifted musician. And on top of that, he was an excellent warrior. He was one that Saul could, um, could send out into the battle. And there was always great results, always victory, because David's heart was set on the Lord's will, not his own. And David was dependent upon the Lord. And tonight we're going to see something really kind of curious, because David started off initially very well. Remember the great faith that he had as he came and he was up against Goliath. There there seemed to be nobody on the planet at that time who had such a great faith as David did. You know, willing to go out as a young teenager with just a sling and a couple of stones and and take on this seasoned war veteran, this guy who was over nine feet tall. And to be able to go out there and, 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 and in confidence in Christ to be able to say to the giant, today the Lord is going to deliver your head to the birds of the field. And instead of all the things that you've been saying about us, that's what's going to happen to you. And he did it with boldness, and I love it. He ran toward Goliath. I just want to see the videotape. I just want to go back and rewind that a couple times. You know how sometimes when you had the VHS tapes, you'd go back and rewind a scene that you liked a lot, and then you rewound it so much the tape started to stretch, and it started just in that spot, it got kind of wore out? Well, I want to see that, because I want to see David running, running, and, and, and just getting that stone ready, and just running and running, and one goal, one goal, one thing on his heart was just the glory of God, and God won a marvelous victory for Israel, for Israel. And so David is a hunted man now. Saul is on him. And if you remember, last week we looked at chapter 25, which began with the death of Samuel. And we saw that David, as he had been continuing to run away from Saul, that he was in the wilderness of Maon, which is just to the west of the Dead Sea, And near there, in a town called Carmel, there was a man named Nabal, if you remember, a very wealthy man, and David had been helping the shearers of Nabal for some time, and in fact being like a wall to them from the other raiders in the area, and so providing protection, if you will, for um, Nabal's shearers and his flock of sheep. And so David, at the time of the shearing of the sheep, he, he sends a messenger, if you remember, to Nabal, saying, you know, will you be willing to give me and my men some food to eat, which is a very simple thing, especially considered all that David had done for him. And and his own servants uh, were witnesses that David indeed did do those things. And so a very hospitable thing to do, since he was so wealthy, was to help David and his men, but he chose not to. Because the Bible says that as his name is, so is he. That's what his, his wife Abigail said. As his name is, and his name means fool, Foolish, stupid. That's who Nabal was. Very obstinate, very proud, very rich, very self centered, self focused. And David, when he heard the news that Nabal had nothing to do with it, he told his men to get on their swords. He was going to go up there in a moment of the flesh. He was going to take Nabal and all the men with him. And you remember Abigail, she heard about this and she saddled a bunch of donkeys with all kinds of stuff clusters of raisins, all this stuff you know, several a, a, a lot of meat, and she had it prepared, and she brought it down ahead of her. And then she falls on the ground, and she begins to intercede, not only for herself, but for her husband and her all the men. And David, all the time he's listening to her, he's just enamored with this incredible woman, a woman of faith, a woman of prayer. And it was like a, a match for David in his good times. But she was married, so David obviously would not touch her. But then you recall what happens. David is, he goes back. Abigail goes back up to Nabal, who by that time had been drinking pretty heavily. He wakes up in the morning with a hangover, and when he comes to himself, she tells him all that had happened the night before, how he was this close to death. And Nabal, something happened. We don't know if it was a heart attack or a stroke, but the Lord, it says the Lord struck him. And then within 10 days, he died. And then as a result of that, David took Abigail and um, uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, who must have been in the, in, in, among the ladies, uh, maybe among the four ladies who came with Abigail. And he married her, too. And so David picked up uh, Abigail. And so that's really where we are. So let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 26. And, we'll, um, and I'm hoping to get through 26 and 27 tonight. We'll see how we go. But this is a, a really interesting chapter. I think twenty-seven is going to be a real interesting one, and, and unfortunately, it, it's not so uncommon to us because we have seen David in his less faithful moments. And before I get too heavy on David, I got to look at myself and say, you know, if I was in the same situation, how would I respond? So we really don't know, do we? And so it's hard to be armchair warriors and and throw stones when we haven't been in the place that David has been. But let's read chapter twenty-six because. Uh, it's right after um, he picks uh, Abigail, takes her to his wife, it says, Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gabeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon? And then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. So David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army... Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. And then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay, sleeping within the camp, and his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him, and then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head, and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do not answer. Do you not answer, Abner? And then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king?' For one of the people came in to destroy your lord, the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. And then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up because uh, or against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be accursed or may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall do both great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So we see this second event of David sparing the life of Saul. We saw the first time a couple chapters ago when David was hiding in the cliffs and in the, in the rock caves of En Gedi. We looked at some pictures and videos of that area. And now the second time, he spares his life again. Let's go back to verse 1. It says the Ziphites came out to Saul at Gebeah, saying, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jessimon? And again, this is the second time also that the Ziphites have blown him in. They did it back in 1 Samuel 23, verse 19. We, we read that a couple of weeks ago. David had no allies. The one ally that he had, well, he had a few allies. He had two, he had three allies, actually. He had... Samuel, he had Jonathan, and he had the Lord. And those are the only three people on the planet that seem to be confederate or at least willing to help David. And, uh, and so the Ziphites here, uh, they, they blow him in again to Saul. And you wonder whether they were just currying favor with the king because by this time everybody knew that David was a hunted fugitive. Isn't it funny how fickle people can be when, when, when somebody's in power? All of a sudden, they'll do anything to make that king happy, hoping to get something from that king. But as the king starts to fade in popularity, all of a sudden, people start to turn against him. It's like, whatever the, however the wind is blowing, however the tide is going, that's where the people go. And, um, and that's kind of the way people were with Saul. But they were afraid of Saul because he was unhinged. He wasn't in his right mind. The Spirit of God departed from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. Yes, an evil spirit from the Lord. God can dispatch evil spirits. He did it with Job, didn't he? Not to destroy Job, God knew what he was doing, and he he knew what he was doing here too. He allowed it because of the rebellion. He gave Saul what he was longing for. And that was a life without God, a life without dependence upon God. And sad is the man who wants to live a life outside of God. Or a woman. It's a sad place to be. And Saul found himself in that place. But it's, it's an unfortunate thing, but there are always enemies to those whom God has put his hand on. Those that God has chosen or has called, there's always going to be a resistance. In fact, if God has called you and there's no resistance at all, begin to worry. Because Every man or woman whom God has called, and you, Christian, have a mark on yourself. I don't know if you know that. Of course you know that, but you are a marked person because you claim Jesus as your Messiah, as your God, as your Savior. And the closer you get to him, oftentimes the trials don't get smaller and less significant. They often are ramped up and they get more significant. But the devil will always resist God's plan. The devil wanted to snuff out David through Saul. Because if he could do that, do you understand the Davidic covenant that was given to David? And all, going all the way back to Abraham, going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent. Who was the seed of the woman? It was Jesus. But who came? Who did Jesus come through in the flesh? David. David. If he could somehow kill David, he could appear or at least think that he could thwart the plan of God. Do you realize how everything was on the line as David was running? Everything was on the line? all of biblical history was on the line. Do you think God was wringing his hands going, oh, I hope he doesn 't catch David. No, God is going. I got this covered David. you just and even David in his folly, God allowed him he he spared him even in his Less sane moments. Have you been there? Have you had less sane moments? I have them. We all have them. Moments where we're not really resting. We're more like reacting to fear. Can I I get a witness? Amen. Yeah, that's right. So Saul, verse 2, he rose and he went down to the wilderness of Ziph. Again, this area right to the west of the Dead Sea, right uh, directly to the west of En Gedi, really, in that area where David had been. And Ziph is about three miles southeast of Hebron. And, and so it says in verse 3, David uh, and Saul encamped in the hill, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road, but David stayed in the wilderness. And he came and he saw where uh, Saul had, um, and, he, and he saw that Saul came after him, excuse me, into the wilderness, and David therefore sent out spies. And then in verse 5, David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And what guts does that take? <laughs> you know, all the promises that were wrapped up in David's life and here David as we will see here in just a moment he and Abishai his nephew they decide to go when everybody's sleeping i mean you can you imagine as they're walking along at night and one little twig and then you know the guy, all the men of army gets up and then they got to run for their life and those guys were pretty accurate with spears and everything they better get out of dodge pretty quick but everything was on the line and yet they did this thing I don't even know if this was the Lord that David did this. He didn't need to do it. I think David did it just to prove to Saul, Saul, I'm not against you. Why are you coming against me? Remember this? We did this back in En I don't want to kill you. Whatever rumors you're hearing are false. It's fake news. I'm not trying to harm you. If I wanted to harm you, I would have, I would have pinned you right to the floor. But I didn't. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. That's another thing I love about David. He knew the office. He respected the office, regardless of the man's personality, regardless of the man's everything that was about him. He's like, if the Lord put you there, God forbid that I'm going to be the one who takes you out of that place. And so, so they come, and they see Saul laying there with Abner, who was the commander of his army? and Saul lay in the middle, and everyone, as is typical, would be around him for protection. And so David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai, I love this, this young nephew of his, he doesn't even, he doesn't even stop to consider it. He just says, I'll go. <laughs> I'm going to go down with you, David. I love you. You're my blood, and I'm going to go with you. And Zeruiah, many times when you read this name in the Bible, is actually David's half-sister. When you read Zeruiah, it sounds like a man. But whenever you read Zeruiah in context of this, it's David's half-sister. Jesse had sons and daughters, and Jesse certainly was the father of Zeruiah and David and all of his brothers, but Zeruiah was from a different mother, but from the same father, Jesse. Jesse. And so it was really his half-sister. So the half-sister had sons, Abishai and Joab was um, um, part of that too. And so um, these are all family, blood. And so Abishai is a, a nephew, his young nephew, saying, I'll go with you, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai, they go to them by night, taking this great risk and there lay Saul sleeping with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and the, and the people laying all around, and Abner there. Abishai, Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And how many times has David by now heard this same phrase? God has got your enemy right here, David. Now, therefore, let me strike him at once with his spear right to the earth. I mean, it reminds me of, what is it, uh, J.L. in the book of uh, Judges. <laughs> she took that tent peg, and it's such a graphic scene. Just because it's so fun to talk about, I almost want to share it, but I won't. Let's go on. He says, uh, God has delivered your enemy. He says, uh, let me take the spirit once. I'll pin him right to the earth, and I won't have to do it a second time, David. I'm going to do it once, and we're going to flee like gazelles out of here. And again, just like in chapter 24, David has this opportunity to take matters in his own hands. I believe that was a, this was another great test for David. And he passed the test again. He passed the test. Any other man would have done it. This is an easy way for me to ascend to the throne. And any, most men, they, they crave power or desire to be in some kind of authority position. But David wasn't like that. And that's why God could choose him. See, that's the difference. David really didn't care. His, his relationship with God and just being who he was was good enough. Anything else was just icing on the cake. And that's why God could use a man like that because it wasn't a goal, it wasn't an idol to him. Power and prestige and everything that goes with it wasn't something that David uh, held close to his heart. He's like, I could take it or leave it. But the devil wanted nothing more than to get David to respond in fear and anguish. And take matters into his own hands here. And here's the thing. Even his young nephew was willing to do his dirty work for him. There are always going to be those who are associated with us. That are willing to do what our consciences are not willing to do. And it behooves us then, right? Those of us who are following the Lord to restrain and refrain others from doing foolish and sinful things. In our presence. Don't even let them do it. You know... I mean, Abishai, he could have done it, and, and, and David would have been king, but there would be suspicion. David, did you allow him to do it? How, how could you do that? And certainly God would not be pleased with that. But David was able to restrain his young nephew so that David himself wouldn't be complicit, complicit in that sin So David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? Underline that word anointed because it's the word in Hebrew, Messiah. (laughs) Yes, Messiah. Whenever you see anointed, and much of the time, especially in this context, it literally means Messiah or Mashiach. It's a consecrated person. Notice, don't stretch out your hand against the Lord's anointed because God had put Saul there. He allowed him to be there. And so that was God. Remember Romans 13? The powers that be are ordered by God. God puts whom he will in power. And he did that with Saul. And and David's like, I'm not going to touch this man. Because he respected, again, I think in his heart he loved Saul. Even though he was trying to kill him, David had a deep love. And you can see it in the way he responds to him. We'll see it in this chapter the way he responds to Saul is so tender in spite of you know the venom that he got from Saul and he and he, and he loved and he and he respected that position and again another reason why God could entrust the throne to him so the anointed it means messiah the lord called cyrus remember the persian king who um, Uh, overthrew the Babylonian government and the Babylonian kingdom, Cyrus, remember? What does Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 45, in the very first verse? It says, Thus says the Lord, thus says Jehovah to his anointed, there's the same word again, Messiah, Mashiach, to Cyrus. Thus Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Whose right hand I have held to subdue nations and loosen the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not shut. So God even calls a, a Gentile king this consecrated one to do his will because it was through Cyrus that God would allow his children to come back from their captivity and go and rebuild the temple after their 70 year captivity in Babylon and to rebuild the walls and the gates. But of course, in the larger picture, we know that the Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ. The, he fits the bill in every possible way. So verse 10 it says, "David said, furthermore, "As the Lord lives, the Lord shall not strike him, or, or, or I'm sorry, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or He shall go to, out to battle and perish." Notice these three things. The Lord's either going to strike him, and this is true for any man. The Lord is either going to do it, or his day shall come just through natural causes to die, or he's going to lose his life on the battlefield. And so David understood that. It's going to happen one of those ways, but it's not going to come from my hand. And what a wonderful man. Again, amidst all the flaws that we know are in David, because we've read the Bible, and we know the, the, the event with him and Bathsheba, even with all those mistakes, God said, that's my man. Because David wasn't he wasn't a perfect man, but when he sinned he broke like an egg and he repented. See, there's a difference. Saul never repented. He just continued one bad decision after another. And therein lies the the difference of a man or woman of God, because a man or woman of God, even though they're not perfect and they fall into sin, they 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 repent of that sin. They ask God to forgive them, and he does. And then David was changed forevermore, and he never did that again. That's the difference a repentant Christian versus a man who had the outward appearance of being religious but was not devoted to God and continued to propagate in his sin. And there is the, therein lies the difference. And unlike Saul, David was a man of faith and integrity. Although he had the opportunity, he respected God's will and God's way in the office. Are you the type of person who likes to get even more than to let god do his work in his time do the ends justify the means with you that's a question we have to ask ourselves and be honest with the answer and sometimes we don't always know what the answer is because until we're in a certain circumstance we don't even know our own hearts does anyone here know their heart how you would respond in every situation I like to talk a big game. You know, if, if, if this happens, and Lord, I know I'll do this. You know what? When the time comes, and this happens to people, when things finally really happen, things change in an instant. You find out whether the kind of person you're at. That's why men go through the police academy, you know. They go through the police academy. They go on those hard domestic violence calls. They go on those shootings, and you find out really what you're made of and whether you're really called to this job. I believe police officers, I believe that job is a calling it's not for everybody. You got to be called by God, and if you're not, it's okay to be the dispatcher. It's okay to be the guy doing the paperwork. It's okay to be, okay to be the guy behind the computer or, or wiretapping cars and sitting back in the little, you know, in the big uh, the vans and listening to all those stuff, you know. But to be out there in the thick of it, pray for our law enforcement. They are in the battle of their life right now in this country. Verse 11, it says, The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I love this heart of David. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David, as you know, we just read it, he took the spear and the jug, and, and, and that's Saul's weapon. That, that, that's a big deal. And he takes his cruse of water, which somebody was supposed to carry that around for him. This was somebody else's responsibility. And now David and, and, and Abishai, they take these things, very precious to the king, symbolically and, and even practically. And they go, <laughs> for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. And David went over to the other side, and, and I hope you get to go to Israel. If you uh, start planning now, next March, we're hoping to go to Israel again. It's, it's on the schedule, and everything is a go at this point. But when you go to the land and you see where these things are, you can picture in your mind exactly, as I'm reading this, I'm picturing the battle in the, the, the contour of the land, and, and to see where these things took place. And it's, it's really wonderful. And he, and he takes the, these things, he, he goes over the ravine, and then goes onto a side, far on the other side, a great distance being between them. And David called out to Abner. Notice, he didn't call out to, to Saul initially. He gets on the case of the commander who, who wasn't doing his job. And I think in David's heart, his, his heart is just eating him up. He's like, you know what? My problem with Saul is one thing, but you, buddy, you should have been doing your job. Because if I was still commander of the army, you should have been doing your job. And that wasn't to be sleeping with your little binky in your mouth, with your, you know, your snuggles stuffed little bear, with your blinky, Linus. You, know? you weren't supposed to be doing that. You are supposed to be watching the king. And David called out to the people, and he says, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered, Who are you calling out to the king? I can imagine probably in his, his morning, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know, just coming out of his slumber. Are you not a man, and who is like you in all of Israel? You're, you're the commander of the army of the Lord. Why then have you not guarded the Lord your king? For the people came in to destroy your Lord the king. And this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. David had a a wonderful sense of justice. And uh, this is a big deal. That really was his job. He should not have allowed anybody to get anywhere near, he should have had men on guard. Even doing shifts, you know, having at least a couple of guys around and having shifts every four hours, every two hours, whatever it was. That should have been his job, and he failed to do it. And he says, and now see where your king's spear is in the jug of water. And I can see him on the opposite side of the hill holding up the spear in the jug of water, doing this, and the water sloshing out of it. Notice where they're at now, Abner. (laughs) He gets on Abner's case. And those who are to oversee kings and prisoners were greatly responsible for their security. You remember in Matthew, this is not an uncommon thing. In Matthew 28, remember, after Jesus was resurrected, it says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. Because that, that really wasn't the truth. They, they, they paid them off to tell a lie, and then it gets even better. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Why was that? Because they deserved death. Every one of those soldiers who were, was blinded by the angel that came down and rolled away the stone, not to let Jesus out, but so that they could go in and see that he was not there. He had risen through the rock in his new body. His old body was not there anymore. It was transformed like that. And they were blinded, and they were stupefied by the vision, but they were told to lie, and they were responsible to keep that secure because they put a, uh, they secured it with wax seal and all kinds of ropes and things of that nature, and anybody touching any of that would be put to death. And anyone who was not watching who took away, those stone, took away that stone would be put to death. So they were worthy of death. So this was not an uncommon thing in Israel. And this was an incredible rebuke from David to Abner, David being a, a commander of Saul's army at one time and now pointing the finger at Abner. Because you see, David, as a great shepherd as well as a great man of war, he could not tolerate this kind of carelessness on the behalf of Abner, and he truly failed, Abner did. And so then Saul, when, when he knew David's voice, he said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. Notice the respect and the reverence David had for Saul. He rebuked Abner, but he was reverent to the king. Very important. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, and what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept an offering. And if it's by the children of men, may they be accursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the lord, saying, Go serve other gods. The, the idea here, this is kind of a difficult saying, but it, it, it seems to infer that David had, if David had done anything wrong, he was willing to offer a sacrifice for forgiveness. But, of course, David didn't do anything wrong. Because what was wrong was Saul's heart toward David. That was what was wrong. He said, if I need to make a sacrifice, I'll just do that. But if it's the people that, you're, that are talking to you, that are telling you all this fake news about me, then let them be cursed. Because you know what they're doing? By doing what they're doing, they're driving me from my inheritance and in my own land of Judah. And by doing so, I'm not even able to serve my God the way I want to. i got to be in a land of foreign idols. That's what they're doing. So now, verse 20, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out against a flea. Again, David's like, why are you coming after me? I'm nobody. Of course, David what really wasn't a nobody, (laughs) but David saw himself, and that's the big deal. David was on the rise. Saul had been in decline for some time, but now David is on the rise. God is going to use him, even in his foolishness, as we'll see, if we get to chapter 27 tonight, and I doubt it. Um, so he says, Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for you've come out against a flea, as when a man hunts a partridge in the mountains. And Saul said, I've sinned. I've sinned. You can, you can hear it in his voice. And isn't, isn't this just like the, second, it's like the second or third time Saul has cried the crocodile tears? Were they tears of repentance? Was this worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? Worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow doesn't change the heart. Godly sorrow is repentance. Because when there's godly sorrow, it's about it's very personal between you and God. There's something that happens. But a worldly sorrow is just, I got caught. And I'm going to continue to do it. That's the attitude. I got caught, and I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm not sorry that I did what I did. Have you met people like that? I've met people like that. They're not really repentant. They're just sad that they got busted. I'm sorry I got busted. But given the opportunity, I'm doing it again. You know, that's the attitude And so Saul puts on this thing. Oh David, I'm so sorry, I played the fool. Forgive me. God help me. And you know, and the tears are coming down, and you know, the violin is playing, and you know, the people in the robes are all coming around and laying hands on him, you poor guy. Receive the Lord. Come to Jesus. (laughs) And and yet there's no we've seen this before, we've seen this before, we've seen this before. So Saul said, I've sinned, return my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool, and I've erred exceedingly. Now, I believe this is probably one of the times where day, where Saul had his lucid moment, where the spirit of, of the devil or a demon wasn't controlling him. Because he has these moments where, the, these lucid moments where I believe the real Saul is coming out. The real Saul is being repentant, and he really... I really think he had part of him that was like that, but he was a double-minded man. That means double-spirited. That means halt between two positions. What are you going to do? I don't know. Depends on how the wind blows. Depends on if I wake up tomorrow morning, what I'm going to do. I don't know. That's kind of way Saul was. He would just kind of roll the dice, you know, see what happens. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. And may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, Saul. But I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And wow, what an an excellent reminder again to Saul in this lucid moment of his. To remind him, this is not just your kingdom Saul, you are the Lord's anointed. That means there's accountability. It's not just about you on the throne accomplishing your will, what you want to do. You are there on God's purpose. You are there by God's design, and you should have been a good king. You could have been a good king. You might have been a good king, but you chose darkness. You chose your own way, and it was always about obedience. It was always about obedience. Have you ever noticed that? With the Lord, it's always about obedience. Just be obedient to the Lord. You know, when He shows you something, when He puts something on your heart, don't just dismiss it. That still small voice in your heart when He tells you to do something, why not just step out in faith, especially if it's something that is challenging you a little bit, that's going to impugn your pride a little bit, why don't you step out and see what the Lord might do? When you're in Wegmans and the Lord puts on your heart, you know, why don't you just go over to that lady and just tell her that Jesus loves her. Why, are you kidding me? Forget that. Are you kidding me? She looks like a self-made woman. She's going to take out her, you know, her long little thing in her hair and she's going to stab me with it. I'm not going to do that. Really? I, I've told this story a couple of times so far, but it, it really is just like this. My daughter, when she was little, I'm glad she's in the other room because now she's not so little, but um, she was in the in the in the she was young enough to be in the um, in the cart and her legs were you know through the thing you know how you put kids in there, and uh, and and she and we so we're going through the the line and there was a, an African American woman, and and she was checking you know checking out the and she was scanning our items and and I was completely out to lunch I was putting stuff on the cart. I'm just, it's about business, right? So I'm just, I'm just getting this thing done. And my daughter looks over at her and she says, do you know that Jesus loves you? And she said it just kind and sweet like that in her little girl voice. And you should have seen that woman. She stopped what she was doing. She looked like she'd seen a deer in headlights. Or she was like the deer in headlights. And the tears started to come down. And she looked at my daughter. And that was something I'll never forget. Because out of the mouth of babes, it wasn't me. It was my daughter. Just telling her that Jesus loves her. And then, and then I finally realized what moment was happening here. And I wanted to jump on the coattails. And I told the lady, I said, he does. He loves you. And she goes, that's the best thing I've heard in a long time. She goes, I've, I've walked away from the Lord. And I grew up a Christian, but I've, I've walked away. And just to hear you, you know, your daughter say that just melted me and as she's scanning the things the tears are just running you know and i'm just like god you are so good so good you know so indeed verse 24 as your life was valued much this day in my eyes so let the king, let my life be valued much in the eyes of the lord isn't that the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you that's all david is asking in an old testament narrative As your life was much valued this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued in the Lord's. In other words, Saul, just leave me alone. I'm not here to hurt you. I've proven that twice so far. I could have killed you twice. I chose not to touch the Lord's anointed. What great respect, what great honor, what great integrity. I love that. I want to be a guy like that. Indeed, and then he goes on, he says, and, and let, him, let the Lord deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul said to David, and here it is, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. And I believe that maybe at this moment, Saul realized at this time, finally, you know what? My time is done. I think there was a, a and he didn't he, Saul did not pursue David anymore after this moment, but David didn't know that he didn't know that, so David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place and and, and, and again it's uh, Saul is kind of crying wolf you know uh, oh i 'm sorry i 'm sorry, but then he 's not really sorry, but this time he um, he, he was uh, I believe there were things happening in the country at the time. the Philistines were getting ready to attack Israel. And that would and all of that distraction kept Saul from doing anything. Had he given had he been given a, a time of respite from the battles of the Philistines, I, I imagine Saul would be there in his parlor one afternoon, twiddling his thumbs, going, I wonder what David's doing. But he didn't have time. He had to, he had other battles that were more important to, to handle. but Saul had proven himself not to be a man of integrity. David knew that he couldn't trust anything that was coming out of his mouth. And because Saul had been under intense demonic influence, causing him to vacillate between his old self and this demonic power over of hatred and murder, you know, it was just making Saul a very uh, volatile, volatile man. Let's just read verse 1 of 27, and then we're going to stop there. Because, it, it, because David didn't know that this would be the last time. David, after hearing Saul cry again and repentant and the crocodile tears, David's thinking, to I mean, I've, I've heard this so many times. I'm just, I, I can't believe you, Saul. I mean, in his heart, he's saying this. He's listening to Saul, and David's going, oh, man, here we go again. Here we go again. And so verse 27 starts off, and David said in his heart, and this is it, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. (laughs) There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. And again, David is thinking, I've heard this all twice so far, at least twice, maybe three or four times, and now I know what's going to happen. So I'd better run. I'm going to run. And you notice there's no mention here, and we're going to end here. There's no mention here of of these two chapters of David really seeking the Lord. Again, probably the darkest time of his life when he's learning dependence and and learning a lot of things. And notice that God wasn't so upset with him during this period of seven to ten years that he was on the run from Saul. He did a lot of boneheaded things. And again, before we get too harsh on Saul... It's easy for me to get harsh on Saul, but then I'm not in David's shoes. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, let's not get too harsh on David, because um, we're not in his shoes. Had we been in his shoes, maybe most of us, perhaps all of us, maybe none of us, would have done what he did. And again, it's easy to read the event, to read the history. Notice I didn't say story, because this really happened. This is not some allegory. But David thought for sure he was going to be hunted again. So what does he do? There's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of of submitting his heart to the Lord. There's none of that. And again, one of David's less finer moments in his life. And I wonder what would have been, because we know that after this he he flees to the king of Gath again, Achish. You remember Achish? David visited him a few chapters ago when he feigned to be mad, and was spitting on his beard and scratching on the wall and doing all those things. He's going back to the very same man, but now he's going with 600 men, and in his right mind, and Acha is going to go. Oh, look at this! I remember David fought some of my battles, and now he's back, and it's like David 2.0. And everybody hates him. All of Israel hates him, and he's thinking to himself, I can use this chap. I can use this guy, and David was more than willing to feign, and we'll see why this is so, he feigned to be fighting the Philistines' battles against Israel, but what he was really doing was fighting the enemies of God and deceiving Achish into thinking that he was fighting his battles for him. And that's what chapter 27 is about, but we'll probably look at 27 and 28 next week, but... um, you know, fear is a, is a liar. There's a song. <laughs> fear is a liar, isn't it? We do some crazy things when we're in fear. And it's just, our flesh is such an interesting thing, isn't it? We can claim to know the Lord. We can claim to be walking with him. And sometimes we can just be sidelined by fear. And it comes in many ways. It comes through the news channels. It comes through your own family, your own life. And we'll look at that next week. But I would encourage you, you know, as we look at David's life, you know, put yourself in this place. And, and, and I say this because don't get discouraged. Because every one of us fail. Every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us fall from time to time, and hopefully, as you go closer to the Lord, you're falling less and less. But you understand what I'm talking about. We are not perfect people, and sometimes we we get into these situations where we lack faith. We, we're not listening to the Lord. We're not praying. We're not worshiping Him. We're not even reading our Bible much anymore, and so we just kind of fade off the map. And then we find ourselves in all kinds of sore troubles. And is that God's fault? It's not His fault. He wants to reach you and I. He wants us to be side by side. And the closer we are to him, I I wonder what would have happened. And I'd have you read chapter 27 tonight, maybe before you go to bed, while it's fresh in your memory, uh, this chapter that we just read. Read chapter 27 and ask yourself, what would have happened? How could have things been different had David just dropped to his knees and said, Lord, I am a fool. Why am I running to the enemy? What would have been different? How God... How might God have spared and secured David in Judah if he stayed in the wilderness of Ziph? If he stayed in the wilderness of Maon? If he went back to En Gedi? Maybe they broke up into three different bands and kind of interspersed in different places. What would have happened? We'll never know. But see, that's the thing I think is important to consider is what could have been. Have you looked back on your life and said what could have been? If I'd have done this, if I'd have done that better, if I didn't respond in the flesh here, how might my relationship have been spared with this other person? Do you realize that that's the things of God? Those are the things of obedience. Those are the the nuts and the bolts. That's where the rubber hits the road in our relationship with Christ is those things, those little things of obedience because they're small, there's are small things, and God is so interested in the small things. Don't get me wrong. He's interested in the big things, but if you're faithful in the small things, oh, God is saying, I can give you much greater things because I can entrust you because you're not just turning a blind eye to the very small thing that you know, that little speck in your eye that you know needs to be addressed, and you're addressing it. Good for you. But if you don't address it, If you don't address it, it gets bigger, it gets worse, it gets bigger, it gets worse, and pretty soon you're thinking, I can handle this, I can handle this, like these people who are on drugs. Oh, I can take care of it. I hear it all the time. There's a guy in my street, an older man, he's probably in his 60s, he had a son who was 21 years old, and his son was taking heroin. And I remember seeing this guy walk by my house every day, walking his dog. And I talked to him one day, and he told me, he was just, and I said, hey, i want to introduce you to myself. And I told him I was, uh, you know, at the church and I'd love to pray for him. I was like, what can I pray for you? About? And he said, and he broken heart. He said, would you pray for my son? He's addicted to heroin. He keeps thinking he can, he can kick this thing every time, every weekend. He's saying, dad, I can kick this. I won't do it. And then he does it. And then he says, well, I can do it. I can handle, it. I can handle it. And then one day I saw him walking by the house and I went out to him and I could just see his head was a little bit lower than before. And I said, uh, I said, I think his name was John. I said, John, I said, What's what's going on? He said, A week ago my son died from heroin. He took a hot shot. And what broke my heart was the day before that, the night before that, he talked to his son. And he got to say goodbye to his son. Unbeknownst that that would be the last time he would see him but they told each other that they loved each other, and then his son got a hold of something, and it was, as you know, there's nothing regulated on the street. It was uh, probably laced with baking soda and peroxide. you know. I mean, who knows what it was. And so he took a hot shot and killed him instantly. And I just thought, you know, he thought he he could handle it, and that's just the way sin is. You, you, You can't handle it. We cannot handle it. We're not supposed to handle it. David, like us, we're supposed to give it to him. Give it to him. Those little things... Don't let those little things become big things because they will, by nature. If you do nothing, it will get bigger. If you do nothing, it'll get bigger. If you do nothing, it'll get bigger and bigger. And you won't have the ability to turn back again. It will consume you. And oftentimes, it will kill you, depending on what it is. It could be sexual sin. I can just dabble here a little bit here. Well, oh, I can control. I can dabble a little bit here. I can control that. Next thing you know, you got an illicit affair, and then you're doing this and you're doing that, and you're looking at stuff on the internet. Next thing you know, it's consumed your life, and you have no family. Your wife leaves you. you 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 fail at your job. It's just one little thing. Just one little thing. It starts off like this. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it behooves us then, doesn't it? It's like you want to peer into this this narrative right here, and you want to whisper in David's David, ear, David, why don't you just have a worship service? <laughs> Get out your electric guitar and crank up the amps. David, worship the Lord. Get on your face and, and confess your, what you're going through and talk to the Lord. And as we would whisper that into his ear, let's whisper it into our own ears. What are we doing? Am I a worshiper? Am I one of God's children? am i willing to take it on the chin am i willing to look at my life and say lord take control i don't want this spirit like that was on Saul that was influencing him do you know how many people are being influenced by demonic spirits have you been influenced by a demonic spirit i have i don't think i've been possessed by one but i've been influenced and i know most of you probably have too Don't you want to be free of that? There's a great blessing, isn't there, of just having a clear conscience and just going before the Lord and pouring it. Pour your heart out to God as often as you can. Get on your face. Go someplace where you you can cry. Go someplace where you can get on your face and lay down on your stomach and just cry like a baby and soak the carpet with your tears and pour out every complaint that you have. Do you know that God wants you to do that? Before you even go to a friend and you call them up on the phone, before you get on Facebook and, you know, you're doing your thing, before you do any of that, go to the Lord and get it all. Chances are you won't need anything else or anybody else. That's the way he wants you to be with him. Let's do that. Take advantage of the veil being rent, and now we can go into the Holy of Holies. You can run into your Father's arms. And say, Lord, my marriage is on the rocks. Lord, I'm struggling with this area of sin. Lord, I, I feel hate. I'm just i I'm just consumed with hate. I can't stand anybody around me. I hate, I hate. I can't watch the news. I'm just filled with hate. So let's make a commitment tonight. And, and And you can just, you know, why don't we stand together? And let's just ask the Lord. I'm not asking you to take a vow or anything like that. I'm just asking, let's just purpose with our hearts, to really seek Jesus, to really seek the Lord. Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, there are some in this room who are going through very terrible troubles. Lord, there are some here whose marriages are struggling Lord, there are some in here who are struggling with areas of sin. Lord, there are some here who are distraught and discouraged. And Father, I pray that you would help every single one of us, Lord, to take advantage of the great price that you paid, that we could come into your presence and that we could pour out our heart to you and cry. And, and be joyful, Lord, to tell you the good things, the, the great news that we have, to pour out to you the horrible things that we could never tell anybody else. We can pour it out to you, God, and may you be that one that we can run to when everyone else is gone. And, Lord, may you be the first one that we run to. And, Lord, we pray that we would learn the lesson that David didn't learn here. He would learn it later, Father. But, Lord, help us to learn that lesson, to go to you, And let you be our greatest confidant and to listen with ears and hearts wide open. So do that with us. Do that in us. Do that for us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.